freezing edible products is the best technology for food since salt. You can take a product at its peak life, freeze it at that point, not only extend its shelf life, but you're extending its most most valuable shelf life. Extrapolate out into the way that people like to purchase products today. A lot of people want these products sent directly to them from anywhere in the country. Well, that freezing aspect is the only way we can get that done. Freezing technology has gotten so good now that you can really actually lock in that peak freshness, that peak flavor for much longer periods by freezing. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Farm to Table Talk often talks about fresh products that are available straight from the farm. Well, today we're going to talk about frozen more and and what the message is, I think, and why we need to be thinking about frozen, both from a consumer standpoint and restaurants and supermarkets. And and um, and I've got some guests on with me today that are right in the middle of all of this. And I want to welcome Ruben Cortez and Wesley O'Brien. And they are co-founders of a company called Frozen Logistics. And it turns out have got quite a bit of experience in this end of the business. And also, um, and also, I think the best people to talk about on what's one of my favorite subjects, and that is how we really extend the season for the benefit of consumers and for the trade, for farmers themselves. And um, Ruben and Wesley, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when we have two voices on, I, I sometimes think that since we're not using the video portion of our Zoom, I should probably, uh, I got to figure out some way so people could tell you apart. <laughs> but I, I have this advantage that you and I are, we're talking here on Zoom right now, so I can see you and the name pops up. But but let's get started with, um, with uh, Ruben. I want you to... Uh, Introduce yourself a little bit and explain how we end up having you co-founding a, a company here with Wesley, and that we're going to spend a little time chatting about the the role of freezing. We'll talk about it more broadly, and then we'll get in a little bit what you guys are up to in particular. But how did you find yourself in this in this business? That's a great question, and it's uh, a lengthy answer, but I'll, I'll summarize it by saying that I, I, I'm a technologist and that I'm a bit of a nerd and a geek and have been working on uh, Internet and computer technologies uh, for decades, and that was my day job. But starting around 2004, my night job uh, was as a real estate investor and eventually into a commercial real estate investor and then around 2008, 2009, I, I began to develop commercial real estate and warehouses and industrial parks here in the greater Austin area. And there was a period of time, I think around 2018, where as I'm building a park and showing around a, a lady who was making these uh, gluten-free brownies for Whole Foods, she uh, asked about cold storage. And I wasn't very familiar with it at that time. And but she said, you know, if you build cold storage, you have a line out the door. And uh, and I, I didn't think of it very much, but my general contractor at the time thought it, he remembered that comment. 
And then uh, a few months went by and he was meeting with Wesley on a different project and noticed that Wesley had a t-shirt, a shirt on that said Taylor Cold Storage. And so he wanted to ask a bit more about Cold Storage. And then uh, long story short is he put us two together at the beginning of 2019. It was still in January of 19. And uh, we spent that whole year in diligence, getting to know each other, getting to know a bit more about what it meant to build cold storage, uh, what the cold storage demand was for, uh, not only in, in, in the central Texas area, the regional area, but even nationwide. And and, and it piqued my interest enough to where uh, I, I began to make some serious commitments towards building a new facility as the landlord uh, with, with Wesley and his family uh, being tenants. Um, but as we progressed in our conversations, I began to even become a bit more attached to the idea of running the business. Uh, and and so, long story short, Wesley and I got together. We decided to go ahead and form a company and buy out his parents from the Taylor Co. Storage business and move it into this new facility that uh, that I was going to build uh, there in, in between Taylor and Hutto, Texas. And uh, we broke ground uh, right around the time COVID hit. And so uh, a very long and difficult uh, construction cycle that uh, actually resulted in my general contractor uh, succumbing to COVID and dying in November of 2021. And uh, the building was about 80% done. And here I was uh, as a developer, not a general contractor, but as a developer needing to finish the project. And I put on the GC hat to finish that project to Make sure we stayed on budget and were uh, consistent with our uh, with our, our subcontractors, et cetera. And Wesley got more involved at that time as well, physically. Both of us on site, uh, shoveling mud and, and all kinds of stuff to get the, the facility done uh, and, and built. At the same time, we we were running the business in in his parents' legacy co storage facility in Taylor. And in uh, September of twenty. 22, we finished the building and moved in, and it was about uh, maybe nine months delayed, uh, and that was because of COVID and, and, and our GC dying and so forth, but we got in. Uh, it's a beautiful building, um, but uh, my thoughts were always on the technology side as well, and so we've had that thought in mind to build some technology from the very beginning, and, uh, and, 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 and we did that while we're running the business, and so uh, it, it, it's, it's a long story, but uh, I, I love where we're at because I love the company and I love the construction because I, I just, uh, it's just sort of, sort of a hobby for me. But, um, and, and, and here we are today with, uh, with a facility that is phase one of uh, an eventual three-phase facility that will be almost five times as big as it is today, and uh, we're prepared for that, that growth, and um, Wesley is the cold storage expert and the, the food supply expert. And I think we make a pretty good team. So Wesley, so he's introduced you a, a little bit and you're on the more on the logistics side as a co-founder of, of this company, but you have, um, your family had been involved in the meat industry, right? That's correct. So, so what made you think it's a good idea for you to go this direction? <laughs> um well, so so I'll start at the end of that question, then and then back up into the beginning. But what I like about the industry is its logistics, its its complexity, its moving parts, its solution oriented, its challenging. So so those are the sort of the things that had me gravitate towards it. But by birth, I was a third generation meat processor. My my grandfather on my mom's side cut meat his entire. Pretty much his entire life, uh, my mom therefore had to as well. And my father, his first job at 14 years old was in a locker plant cutting meat. Uh, then by chance met my mother outside of that. They then 
embarked in some different family businesses. So in 1989, my grandpa started what was called O'Brien Meats with the intention of my parents running it. My dad and mom took over that business in 1994. And in 2002, they purchased the building in which they were processing meat in. Uh, We were just occupying a small part of that building. They purchased it. It had freezers and coolers that were already online. So my father said, well, now we do cold storage. Well, in 2003, I graduated high school and came into the family affairs full time and just gravitated more and more and more toward the cold storage side and less and less towards the cutting meat side. Uh, we, we built that business to capacity in its, in its legacy building. And then through chance, I, I got to meet Ruben through his GC on, a, on another project and were able to take what my family started, purchase that from them and take it to the next level of what we're doing now. Yeah. You know, I think about frozen quite a bit because for so many of our products, they're fresh for like three or four days or, you know, and then they're not. And and really, whether it's at restaurants or, you know, food service, institutional trade, retail and, and so forth, almost any product, including meat, most people don't realize that, but including meat has a peak period uh so when it's you know the peak of freshness ironically is sometimes better when it's frozen canned or dried because you can take the product just exactly when it's the right time to be able to preserve it and preserve it so i jump on that bandwagon are you guys with me on that or uh, do, do i have to pontificate a little bit more about that that side of it uh you know, when you're when the first name in your company is frozen you know, we're, we're on board with you um, for, <laughs> freezing freezing edible products is the best technology for food since salt it um it, it absolutely makes it you like exactly to speak to what you said you can take a product at its peak life, freeze it at that point, not only extend its shelf life, but you're extending its most, most valuable shelf life. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we're, we're big fans of the frozen industry. And then when you extrapolate out into the way that people like to purchase products today, a lot of people want these products sent directly to them from anywhere in the country. Well, that freezing aspect is the only way we can get that done. So yeah, we, we think it's great for food. We, we do understand that it was, um, sort of a target for a bad thing in food for so long you had the wendy's fresh never frozen uh you you had that approach to life but freezing technology has gotten so good now that you can really actually lock in that peak freshness that peak flavor for much longer periods by freezing yeah tv dinners and things like that and some of them weren't so good and and those came out what 70 years ago probably or something like that 50 or 60 60 years ago and it's and it's changed a lot, but it's it still has a stigma. Sure. Uh, uh, and I think probably maybe less so in some of the commercial trade, except they know com- that consumers uh, respond to the word fresh. Mm-hmm. So fresh implies that it's not frozen. Now, I want to make a shout out to the other alternatives to freezing right now, which can include canned, you know, so canned. And so if you want to can your own fresh tomatoes, you can keep it for you know peak season, or you can buy canned tomatoes, for example, and tomato products and some other things. And they're just as good and in some ways better than 
than the product that is preserved to be able to have outside of that peak peak difference. And um, you know, one one more thing as we're transitioning with the meat, I know that in the case of say uh, uh, lamb, often there's really peak periods for fresh for fresh lamb. Uh, so it's a very seasonal kind of meat products. And when you're otherwise, they have to put them in feedlots, and they sometimes can get over fat. And um, you've got fattier product because they again try to keep them in the feedlot till right before they need them, and then and then process them. So the so there's a lot to offer with the with the frozen, and even the products you think would never need to be frozen, uh, like some of the nut products that are exported around the world. If they go set on a hot dock in Hong Kong or something for a long time, it ends up deteriorating a little bit where it can go into cold storage, but. But one of the things in the freezing technology, if you can say it's a good opportunity, but it's not been very good in the past. Uh, you know, it like you guys both talk about cold storage. And and as I understand it, there used to be a, a huge variety of the quality of cold storage literally around the world but across the country i mean some's pretty good some's pretty bad and if it's pretty bad then you know the product's going to not be kept at that optimum temperature is that is that right well sure i mean I, I think that rings true across most industries but there are quite a bit of checks and balances and technology that can make you feel uh, much more at ease about your your frozen supply chain Nowadays, there's there's tracking metrics that happen from, you know, packaging through consumption from a vendor facing standpoint. We have all kinds of logging and different things that we can provide to our suppliers of food. But same from the consumer side, there's things that exist now that can truly increase their confidence in in that supply chain. And it's necessary, you know, food transparency, food traceability. It's an important thing in our industry. Well, yeah, like when you mentioned the consumer, a lot of times the consumers will take something home and they think, well, I'm going to get around to putting it in uh, and, and getting it out on the grill in a, in a few days. And before you know it, it's been a week and you think, oh, now I'm going to throw it in the freezer. And um, and then the freezers they have at home are not going to be the same quality as you guys are working with. Sure. So, yeah. There's a, a a litany of variables that can be introduced, but but in general, the the, uh, the technology has been extremely beneficial to the industry. So when you talk about the metrics and so forth and the technology. So if you're processing, let's just talk about processing processing meat, and it's going from fresh into cuts and to different dishes and so forth and freezing. Where does that where does that happen? How is that? Because it, it seems like at the at the original processing plant or the packing plant or something, they've got freezers and then they're putting them on a, a truck uh, or maybe a, a plane that uh, that has freezing. Where does the quality issues you know break down and how is it how is it monitored to make sure that it's it arrives fairly fast at the, at the best temperature and stays at that temperature? Yeah, so so that I mean that that question covers a lot of areas. So we'll we'll use the example of processed beef that's uh, been processed inland and it's going to travel inland. So what what happens commonplace is we have a customer that we're going to store a harvest for them, and they're going to inform us there's a harvest of twenty head coming. This is going to be the lot number. 
this is going to be the plant that processes it. And we say, okay, we understand. That's what we call ASN, right? That's advanced shipment notice. We're, we're getting notice that this is happening. So then that processing facility will then get a hold of us and say, hey, this lot number is ready. Here's the carrier that's going to bring it. And here's the date that it's going to arrive. And then there's expectations around that inbound. So we're going to check it as soon as it hits. And we're going to be looking for its current temperature. We're going to be looking for any sign of it getting out of its cold chain at any point in time. And there's several ways you can see that. As you're talking about beef in particular, you, you'll, you may see blood where it shouldn't exist inside of the packaging. You may see loose packaging. You can get aromas that would tend to tell you that it, it got out of its chain. But then there's also things that we can participate with a lot. And we do participate with our vendors a lot now is they'll put a data tracker in that load. And so when it gets there, we'll pull that data tracker and we'll load it with a flash drive on the computer. And it's actually tracked the temperature of that product from whatever point you started it until we put it in our hands. So you're talking to a reputable processor that has blast chillers, that has blast freezers. They process that animal, they blast chill him so that that internals drop into 34 as quick as it can. Once he's been processed and packaged, then they're going to blast freeze it so that internals drop into zero Fahrenheit as fast as it can. They're going to give us all the numbers and all the advanced shipment notification we need, tell us about the data tracker, then we're going to pull that detail when we get it. And so we have that traceability from beginning to end. And then we can do the same thing again outside of our warehouse, moving towards end consumption. You talking about the the trackers i mean there's a little thermometer and a uh, sure small, kind of small computer it is yeah it's a it's a it's just a thermometer that is recording you know they have different parameters but most of them are every three minutes some of them are every five minutes some of them are a little bit further out but they're just recording that temperature along the way it, when they first got started I, I first started using them which they were probably started long before that in the early 2000s and they were just a retroactive piece of equipment, but they actually have them now that have their own signal and can be checked on in real time. So you'll see some of that, not as much in, in food, but you'll see some of that in like pharmaceutical and stuff like that, where, where they're actually sending out data and can be monitored wherever they're at in real time. How, how big is that little thing? Uh, they can vary from, you know, the size of, um, th they remind me of an old Walkman, usually. That's a, like a kind of a cassette deck, portable cassette deck size. And, uh -huh. and down to now, now they have them where they're a little bit, uh, they have some of them that are really small. Some of them that are designed for you not to know they're there, sort of as a checks and balances. So they can be this, the size of a button on a shirt, um, you know, up to, like I said, that the one that's still actually physically logging, they're about the size of a cassette deck. So the ones that are like the size of a button, is that, it, it, how's, what reads that? I mean, they, they can't read it on the go, can it? It's not sending a signal, is it, or receiving a... Um... Yeah, they, they, they work similar, and Ruben might could speak better to this from a tech side, but they work similar to to like equipment tracking. You know, they, they do, they have a, uh, they have an active signal they're putting out through a subscription service. Say, so Ruben, talk signal. about that a little bit. Is that an RFI signal that is picked up? With uh, with a reader on each side. I mean, the, the the range isn't very long, but if it's coming out of the trailer onto our dock, you could pick up the signal quite quite easily. I, I suspect. Well, no, they they have some that are. I don't know if they're GPS or satellite driven or cell service driven, but no, they have some that can be can you can they can either actively report or can be uh, asked. You know what's the word I'm looking for? You know they they can be uh, reached into from from anywhere at any time. Wow. That's amazing. So, I mean, you might be um, 
say, getting a meat delivered to the West Coast from Texas or something like that. And in that particular case, say they might have something to worry about, a product that looks like it might be getting a little close to the temperature level or something like that. And, and you can intervene and say, wait a minute, check that load, because I think it's getting real close to where we don't want it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so in, in this industry, you're dealing with so many different, like we call ourselves a third party. We're a 3PL. But honestly, we might be the fifth party involved. So you have transportation companies, you have processing houses, you have cross-stock warehouses, you have cold storage warehouses, all these people that have to do their job. So you need some checks and balances. And that and that's how stuff like this can work, as well as other regulations that exist. So we, we are a USDA inspected facility. So we will not store any meat that's not USDA inspected meat. So the, the processor that it came from already has that stamp that says we have the right SOPs and HACEPs in, plant, in place to do this correctly. And we follow the rules along the, the chain. And then the receiving house is going to follow their rules. So there's, there's a lot done to boost that confidence that the supply chain is kept intact. You know, I want to go back and forth between looking at this from a scale of how something can do it that's trying to make a profit with a business like you guys are trying to do and do a volume, but also kind of related to the people that just eat food that's frozen. And, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of ways, is there, that they can be sure that they're not buying product that was frozen and thawed, frozen and thawed, frozen and thawed, uh, that fell out of the chain. I mean, uh, so if you were a if, so if you're a consumer or even if you have a small restaurant or something like that and you're wanting to be you're wanting to know about whether that quality has been maintained and and it's been consistent, what are you to do? Is there in any way you can be can be sure of how it was cared for up to the time that you purchased it? Yeah, so, so that's a very. Um... That's a very complex question. So there, there's there's a lot to that. And I think that the end consumer desires to know more these days. And yeah. I think that's what makes uh, podcasts like Farm to Table Talk. That's what makes regenerative and local so sourced ranching and farming so popular is that that consumer now desires to know more. Uh, and that could be for a lot of reasons. You know, for a long time, we were we were asked to trust the regulating industries. And I don't know that in general, the consumer has maintained that level of trust throughout. So when they don't trust something, they want to know more of it. And there is ways, I mean, it, it depends, but the consumer needs to be educated. Uh, there's a lot of what happens this day and age is what we call IQF, which is individually quick frozen products. So let's take a bag of uh, frozen French fries. Everybody probably understands you take, you buy a, a five pound bag of frozen French fries and you put them in the freezer. And when it's time to cook fries for your family, you pull out however many of those fries that you need. You leave the rest of them in the freezer. You cook what you need and the rest of them stay there. Well, that works through IQF because they freeze the product individually and then package it. Well, if that product ever thaws any and gets refrozen, now that is now a clump of food instead of individual French fries. Ah. So, so something like that could give the consumer a quick indication that something went wrong at some point in time. Now, was it between the grocery store and my home? Was it between the, the potato plant that cut, cut these and packaged these? Where, I don't know where it was, but something like that. So it, by understanding what IQF is, you could start to understand if there is a problem because you don't have an IQF product in your freezer at home. Always trust your nose, always trust the visuals. I mean, there's there's things that you you need to, 
you need to be able to tell. But but yes, you're right. In general, uh, the the massive food industry can play games that the consumer can have a hard time sussing through. So I think the consumer has said, okay, well, how do I become more educated about what I'm eating? You know, that's really interesting. And I'm sure some people are saying, oh, my God, how can I possibly keep up on, on all this? And I suppose in some cases it comes, this is going to be a brand issue that you begin to trust certain sure. uh, companies, restaurants, brand names. Uh, and in other ways, you say, I don't like trust these guys. They're doing the right thing. And they're probably, this is one more thing to worry about. Not only whether it's safe and it's been inspected and it doesn't have chemicals applied and things that people are worried about, uh, but that they can be assured that they're dealing with people that care about whether the product the product has been taken care of properly and sure. and cold storage and transportation and and all of that so and i just want to add one more thing on that too because some people are saying well who's going to care about that we've got so many things to keep in mind but they would have said the same thing a few years ago about whether or not people cared about how livestock was taken care of. And that's become an issue that people want to be sure that when they're buying meat products or when they're buying some even other kind of food products, that there is care for the environment, uh, that there is care for safety. Um, it's the trust. You mentioned you mentioned trust, Wesley. And it's it's the it's the trust issue. Uh, they they just want to understand more about it and know that they're dealing with it. So whether I suppose if you're dealing with uh, somebody that's got a meat plant or meat products that's going to a supermarket chain or to a restaurant chain or so forth, you got some more sophisticated buyers that are know the things you're talking about. And and some of the things that, you know, that you were talking about, too, Ruben, as far as uh, utilizing the technologies that are available to them and, and know what keeps that chain, you know, cold and safe and absolute perfect quality. So I, I'm guessing you're seeing a sophistication um, taking place across the country, people that care and they're they're watching these things. No, no, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it, and we use technology as well uh, in the, those aspects that we can control. And, you know, when we ship a product to consumer, uh, we sometimes include little trackers that uh, tell us the status of the food as it goes along its supply chain to the destination so that we can we can gain some some data and some knowledge uh, and then use that to improve how we package, uh, how much dry ice we use, um, you know, what the shipping method is, if, if it's going to be okay to go ground shipment or if we have to send it express uh, but but definitely uh the the technology nowadays that is being used helps all of us even from just the day-to-day -day running of our facility to make sure that we never drop below temperature and there's a there's four or five of us that will get alerts if we see any kind of movement in temperature that we see a bump in power from our, our provider uh etc and uh, and i and i i think that uh that we get closer to uh, farm to table, those of us who really care, uh, you know, about the quality that the consumer is getting, because we're shipping directly to consumer, we pay attention to those things a, a lot closer and, and come up with ideas that may help us, you know, write a piece of software that, you know, improves this messaging. Uh, it, it's, it alerts us faster. We, get, we have faster response times. Our suppliers, you know, on the beef side uh, and, and on the fr frozen vegetable side or on the dessert side, 
uh, they themselves, you know, uh, ask for that data. We write it into our agreements. We provide them that data, uh, and it's our name on the on the box as well. So, you know, we're very careful about uh, the quality at which we send something uh, out to that consumer. Uh, but but I agree that that the technology is just now getting started, uh, in, and the cost is coming down uh, enough to where we can put it into places where you know you normally wouldn't be able to put it into a box because it, the price would be too high. Uh, but, uh, and then of course, you know, everyone is mentioning things like AI and, and machine learning. And, and we see a place for that in the future where we become even a bit, a bit um, closer to the the, 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 the data that's being pushed off from uh, any technology uh, on a moment by moment basis so that we can track uh, food even, even closer. And, you know, as Wesley mentioned, we're, we are USDA certified facilities. So, you know, we're subject to those regulations as well. And, and we want to be where uh, that's not the sort of the fallback for us, but the, the, the quality and the assurance of keeping things at a, at a, at a very pristine condition is uh, sort of our mandate in, in our own culture. Uh, so that if, if one of our employees sees something that's damaged, you know, don't, don't ship it out uh, and, and let, let, let us know about it and then we can track it down. Uh, but certainly technology in our facility and even cameras, uh, as we see food coming off of the trucks, uh, we can look back at a video to make sure that, you know, was the boxes, were they damaged on the way and, and, and at what point were, were, was there an issue with it? Um, and so a lot of technology like that that we incorporate today and, and, uh, and, and just we're certain that it's going to even improve uh, in coming years. And, and all that's to the benefit of both, you know, farmer and consumer. You know, I, oh, go, go ahead, Wesley. I just wanted to add a couple of things really quick. One, um, I think that being extremely transparent is very important when you try to gain trust in people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in one thing that we're doing inside of our own organization is trying to limit the touch points from the production to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely beneficial to building up that trust to minimizing the places where this can go wrong, as well as lowering the cost points so that you can introduce more technology because you've lowered the logistical cost points by becoming a single touch facility versus multi-touch along the way. Uh, and one thing that you you spoke about earlier is you talk about regulations, you talk about the sophisticated buyer being the supermarket, being the restaurant that's going to recook it. What's interesting about regulation in general is it's actually more regulated there than it is directly to the consumer. Yeah. And so when you say that, it becomes even more important as players in the space to be transparent and trustworthy to that end consumer, because in a lot of instances, the regulation stepping out of the way. The regulation is much more concerned about product that is going to be resold oftentimes than it is about product that's going to be consumed at home. So yeah. so people like Frozen Logistics and other people in our space, it, it's our burden to be honest, to be transparent, and to be trustworthy. It's important that we are. Well, and I think that not to worry people too much, but there's cases where product is getting close to being out of condition and there's always somebody that would buy it. So sometimes people say, gee, how can I get this product so cheap? Or how can I go to this place and it's saying it's offering me these, you know, great prime rib New York strips and um, and I can have a great steak dinner for eight dollars and 50 cents or something. Uh, well, oftentimes they were buying it, finding someplace on the market that was getting out of condition, mm-hmm, sure. maybe maybe close to being almost unsafe. But those- be wary of preseason meats. Yeah, That's something my grandpa used to tell me all the time. If they're seasoning it for you, they might be hiding something. 
Yeah, no, that's that's right. So again, you get back to that, get back to that trust issue. You know, I I want to let let's go back to the technology too. So they've been freezing for what uh, I don't know, hundred years or something that there's been been freezing. How is freezing better today than freezing would have been? You know, fifty years ago. What's what makes it different? Uh, that. There is a number of things. Um, one thing that all that just kind of popped in my mind when you asked that question, ammonia refrigeration systems were very, very popular starting in the 40s, got very, very unpopular starting in the early 70s, and are now getting popular again as a very efficient way to freeze things. So the reason that they've gotten popular again is because they can now use what they call low charge ammonia refrigeration systems, where it used to be high charge. And the difference is if you develop any sort of a leak anywhere, now that that containment area is much smaller, right? It, it affects a much smaller area. So ammonia is an extremely efficient way to freeze things. So now that we have found ways to, to make that technology work well for us again, it takes less energy. It takes less from the power grid. You know, other things that have gotten better in freezing is some, uh, with the technology, you can use peak time to your advantage where you can essentially turn your freezers, not off, but for argument's sake, you can turn your freezers off during peak energy usage as well as peak operational usage. And then you will just turn that load back on in non-peak times. It, it, to say it streetwise, we don't run, we run our freezers and we don't do this particular thing, but hypothetically, we run our freezers to zero during the day. We pull them down to 15 below at night because we're hunting a negative 10 balance. But it's much cheaper on us to pull that back down and it's much less impact on the environment and the power grid to pull that back down when the sun is down and we're not going in and out of the freezers. So all of that technology starts to play into how we can freeze faster, more efficiently, maintain temperatures better. And just, I mean, just again, all that technology plays a part into lowering the cost points as well as making them work better. Can you use solar energy uh, to to be able to you know support a, a freezing operation? I mean, I know that's an issue to try to figure out how you get it uh, at the right time of day because you're not always using the energy when you want it. But you can in that, like Ruben said earlier, some of this technology is in the sort of pioneering states in our industry. But the solar's making a push in the freezers for sure. Um, what's gotten better in my mind over the years is the is the storage, the batteries, the being able to store that power that you get from the sun. So you store it, but uh, well, well, that opens up a wide, wide area. So there's some hope then for progress, and maybe you're always more than hope. You're actually seeing progress um, on the climate front, and people are concerned. Well, maybe I shouldn't be getting frozen because it's uh, this must be doing terrible things to Earth because if we're freezing too much. Quite, quite opposite. We're we're finding ways to lower our carbon footprint through freezing. I mean, again, we could just go on and on, but you you set your defrost cycles at certain times to make sure that your equipment's defrosting at the right time to where it defrosts just in the right rate before it kicks back on. But one thing that we focus really hard on as a business is direct to consumer shipping. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about how do you, how do you move frozen product throughout the country and be stewards of the environment? Well, those used to really run counter to each other, but we've, we've found ways in this industry to really make those things run parallel. Um, 
so when you when you take frozen items and put them together, they share a thermal load. One frozen item works to keep the other frozen item frozen in transit. So when what we do is we really maximize that frozen space inside the box and minimize any wasted space inside the box. And then we use environmental friendly refrigerants like dry ice that doesn't have a, what do I do with this now? Like, okay, and now I have all these different refrigerants in this box. What do I do with them? So the technology is really helping to be better stewards of the environment as well as get people the product they want by cutting out all this giant industry that hides the truth and muddies the waters. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because now we're getting back, we can get back to the farm level too. Because at one level, farms uh, might be a smaller scale farm. And uh, I, I guess in the case of vegetables, sometimes they could be looking at canning and some other ways or come up with some products like salsas and so forth that they can extend shelf life from peak seasonality if they've got meats there's uh, more and more companies that i talk to that are doing grass-fed meat products of various sort pasture-raised chickens and, and and so forth now oftentimes they're having to process at a, at a smaller local meat processor of some sort um, which I would imagine there's a, a wide spectrum of of quality. Um, some of them not so good, and maybe some better than others. But I would imagine it's. I don't know how a farmer finds somebody that can do good freezing if you're if you're not large scale. And I know that's not what you're specializing in. But do you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. So that that's a twofold question because you have the production end, and then you have the third party side. So the, the third-party freezer space is is behind. It's catching up. It's getting some attention, and there's getting there's getting more space provided to it. But it is behind. Now, from the processing standpoint, I I think that you're either a reputable processor, especially in the meat industry, or you don't last. And and that's just kind of these people all speak to each other. They all see what good results versus bad results look like. And these processors who are willing to adapt and change with the demands, they stick. And the ones who aren't, they, they are having a harder time this day because you do, you know, need to sort of come to the table on, on what the producer wants, what the consumer wants, and how we all work together. But, you know, you talk about canning, it, again, a great technology that's been around for eons at this point. But in the meat industry itself, you, you're changing you can't can meat without cooking it in some form. Sure. So, so you're, you're sort of, it's sort of no longer an input. It's now kind of a finished good. Yeah. So you can, you can can meat. It's been done forever. We've all opened up cans of chili, cans of stew. It, it, it works great, but it's not a raw product. So freezing helps on maintaining that raw product standpoint. But I, I think um, the information can spread too fast for there to be irreparable players. You're not going to make it, especially when you're processing meat and you're part of a food supply chain for people to eat as, as the end consumer is demanding that they know who raised it, who processed it, where it comes from. They, they want to know the truth in the labeling. They want to know all of those things. So if you don't participate in that space, there's not going to be business for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And you were saying, too, that the processors uh, are reputable processors are probably you know, doing the right thing, even, even local. Uh, so they can, they can process the, say the livestock products, for example, and they can get them into cuts and they can freeze them. 
But where the problem is then is what you're saying is like the distribution of getting it to end users or or shipping it across the country or going to a restaurant chain or something like that. Is that is that where the, the quality issues are are most concerning? Well, maybe yes, because the more uh, the more cogs you put into the spoke, the more chances for the problem, right? So the, the more entities that have to touch the product between it being on hoof and being on plate, the more chances that either nefarious intent sets in, which is most likely not, it, it's more just problems arise. Nobody yeah. intends for it to happen, but obviously the more people that touch it, the more likely something's going to go wrong. So the, the closer approach between production and consumption, the better off we are, the less touch points, you know, let, let's streamline this. And that's the advantage that we have this day and age is that we can do a better job of taking it from production to consumer with, with less along the less touch points along the way, because we found ways that it doesn't have to be moved in bulk. And for years and years and years, the only way to distribute food was in bulk. You know, it, um, it, it costs a lot to move an 18 wheeler across the country. So you better fill it up. Yeah. But with, with some of the technologies come along and the ways that we can ship in smaller parcels, we have been able to really increase that closer to that direct consumer approach with, with less people along the way. And I think as much as anything, that's how you minimize some of the trouble along the way is you let less people touch it. Mm -hmm. And some of this is getting on planes and some of it, I suppose, even the Amazon type deliveries or sure. even, uh, even Uber Eats and, and they, and that gets back to these, to the packaging now that we're talking about the frozen products that can hold up. Uh, you know, many of us have experience now in having something shipped to us. And I've some of the people I've talked to on Farm to Table Talk are all across the country. And I I've um, I don't think I have a good business model because I'm, I'm trying to purposely stay a little nonprofit and not be doing commercials. But then I buy the product sometimes. <laughs> Man, I had a good story. And so I've, I'll have i purchase something from somebody that's clear across the country that's been a guest of mine. And before you know it, a nice box shows up on my front door like magic. And I'm not even quite sure how it happened. And typically, uh, there's something inside there that makes them cold. And there's some sort of insulation around it. And then it's a box. And, and almost always, it looks pretty good. And, um, you know, put it in the refrigerator to maybe let it thaw slowly in the refrigerator. And so I've had good experiences, but I also think back, there's been a couple bad experiences. The box beat up. It's not, you know, the, and it started thawing. What we do, we, we are an omni-channel solutions provider. So we'll, we'll do distribution services and stuff like that, but we're heavily focused on that perishable direct consumer shipping. And so like you talk about, you know, ordering a product from, across the country and having it arrive at your door. A, a lot of times that's coming from a facility like ours, if not our facility in particular. And you do open that box and you do see that there is a box. There's some form of insulated liner. There's some kind of refrigerant inside there. And then there's a product that you can touch and you can get immediate feedback. This product is still frozen. This product is still cool. This packaging looks good. Everything looks like it should. But then there's things happening behind the scenes that, that you may not be aware of that's helping to achieve that. We use route optimization software in everything we do. So as an order comes in and we see where it needs to go, uh, we, we had mentioned Chicago before we started recording. So let's say that an order comes into our team and it needs to go to Chicago. Well, 
what, without our team having to think twice about it, they're going to see how much is going in there. They're going to see how much refrigerant is needed. They're going to see how it needs to be packed. They're going to see what kind of shipping label it needs, if it needs to be ground, if it needs to be air. And they're going to put all that together and send it out the door. But what's happening from a technology standpoint in the background is they're looking at weather along the route. They're looking at the day it's leaving. They're looking at general con congestion of direct consumer shipping. Uh, say, as we approach December, we have to take a lot more care for a number of reasons. But one, just the volume of shipping has now just increased 30, 40% just in that one month. So your on-time arrivals go down. So we bolster with a little bit more refrigerant. Uh, we're also in the state of Texas. It gets extremely hot. Not to toot our own horn too much, but our team had one thawed arrival. And this was one of the hottest summers I can ever remember in the state of Texas. But the reason they're able to achieve that is because of these things that we have in place that help us understand how much refrigerant, what kind of material, you know, what, what are we doing? What day of the week are we sending it? But all that's happening in the background to ensure that you're getting a package that you can feel confident is edible and in good shape when you get it. Yeah, you mentioned like the summer. I mean, we've had so much variation in weather. And so when you talk about, you know, climate changes, you end up having like, supposedly we may have a winter worse than most in different ways and summers are different. So it's not that you just say, this is the way we always do it. Uh, because if you're adjusting to all the factors you're talking about, that's a lot of data. You know, it makes me wonder, is um, do you think that artif uh, artificial intelligence is going to uh, have a role to play in the future? I, I mean, I think it's playing roles now. I mean, how, how's, uh, that? Yeah, how's that? And looking at those dynamic factors quickly and making, uh, you know, more than ones and zero decisions that we've, we've always been able, or not always, but thanks, thanks to Ruben's technology, we've been able to program ones and zeros for a while. But I think, and Ruben can speak to this way better than I can, but I think through AI, there can be some more dynamic thought processes that the computer's solving more complexity for you. But um, I, I think, I imagine Ruben probably has something to say on the tech side. Hey, of it. hey, Ruben, Ruben, he's yeah. calling it your technology. Right. My technology. I, well, <laughs> he's contributed quite a bit. Uh, but no, I, I, I agree. I think with, with AI, what, what those of us who sort of, are in this in specific industry what, what we're looking for in the future or even in, in the future is not too far away is the, the a smarter even smarter decision making around the the packing material and the, the, and the refrigerant which are two things that uh, that that uh, that really uh, uh, are key to what we're doing today but but also the method of, of transportation because we've even contemplated you mentioned uber eats uh, earlier uh, and so we, we we usually think FedEx, we think UPS, um, but we have contemplated, uh, you know, the the uh, using a local delivery service uh, for last mile that is, you know, a, a bit more flexible than FedEx and UPS. They have these rigid timeframes for pickup, for example, and and we need we need something that has intelligence to help us make that decision because the timing is so important. Because if FedEx is picking up at 5 p.m. We need to make a decision before then, otherwise, uh, you know, we're not able to, to hit hit their time frame, and we've lost a day. And so, the, that type of of, of uh, intelligence, you know, in 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 AI, would help us make that decision very fast. Is it wise to call Uber Eats or Postmates or one of the or Grubhub or one of these other local deliveries, or do we just stick with FedEx and UPS and hit that time frame, or can they come at six o'clock? Versus at five o'clock, and that extra hour gives us uh, X amount of more benefit because they can get it to the end user, you know, at a faster time frame. So, I think AI is definitely going to help us make 
decisions faster. And, and, and to be honest, I think there's things that we yet haven't learned yet about how AI is going to be able to help us make decisions, uh, you know, faster and, and, and quicker so that we can get that farm to table experience uh, uh, even shorter. And, and uh, I think for us in our business, you know, we, 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 we love that participate in that cycle where the rancher and the farmers who come and visit us and, and, and talk to us and, uh, you know, we can get it there that much faster because we're making wiser decisions and with that less spoilage so that, you know, the product arrives in a great condition. And then with less material, if we sit at this route, for example, uh, which helps drop the cost and reduces the amount of waste that we're using to to, to process that order. You know, you know, this is this is fascinating stuff. Uh, obviously, I, I get excited about it because there's so much more potential to get great product, great tasting product to to people uh, in in perfect shape. Now, I, I want to ask you: Is there a frontier that's like purposely not quite frozen? Like, because when you talk about this technology, I wonder about maintaining chilled levels that aren't that you know fresh not frozen but what we call cryovac and vacuum packed and so forth meats that can stay i don't know what is it 32 degrees or something almost frozen but not quite um that has to be eaten more uh more quickly uh but but still is is that a thing that you get involved with at all or is it going to become more of an issue yeah so you know perishable right i mean so we have yeah, frozen yeah. and perishable yeah, we, we do perishable shipping now. Um, we do we do like a slack in transit approach. So we'll take items that store in the freezer, but ship and start thawing along the chain. Mm -hmm. So obviously that from a material standpoint, uh, we'll cheapen the shipping. But but yes, we, we also ship in that range of 32 to 40 degrees as well. And that's something that the technology is very beneficial in helping us with too, because a lot of times frozen shipping is simpler. All you have is a top end concern. When you, when you add a bottom end concern, it does become more complicated and you have to be a little bit more aware of time in transit, weather in transit, material use. So the technology almost steps in to help you more with the perishable element than the frozen element in that instance. Now, I kind of have the impression though, that it's, it's fine when it, like you said, slacking, when it's, when it's starting to thaw, but it's not so good if you froze it again and thaw it again and freeze it again and thaw it again. I mean, if it, it's if it's being taken down, like you say, to the spot to be out there, they, isn't it right that they don't? It's not good quality to just like refreeze them after that. That's that's a very product specific question. I mean, some uh, products absolutely. Some pro so when we get back to if we circle back to like IQF product, it cannot slack at all. Yeah. Not not that the product will be bad, but the quality now it, it doesn't it's not individual items now. Um, and then, you know, it, would you want to slack seafood and refreeze it at all? Absolutely not. Good point. You know, you know if Good you point. get if you get a steak that's just starting to get a little bit unfrozen, yeah, throw it back in the freezer. It's probably not going to hurt it. So it's very, very product specific question. Um, we, we ship, uh, we ship a lot of non-dairy milk for a certain customer who I, I won't name just because they haven't said I could. But we had to do a lot of chamber testing with them in the beginning because they need their product to stay fresh. What ended up happening to it when we when we dropped it down a little bit too low, it started to crystallize. Yeah, and so you affect your product quality. So it's very product specific, and and that's part of the complications. And what the technology has to help us solve is is the rule that works for one item will not work for the next item. 
You know, I, I just find this so exciting because, again, I think about what I've been able to enjoy in my life across the country. I've had some delicious, say, peaches from Georgia when it's the peak period. And then and then I've liked lamb that comes from the comes from the mountains of Colorado. And it's better when you get them in October than a, than it is in December or, uh, you know, and. And so you look at those peak periods, and if I can get those peak periods of the of really outstanding quality, carrots in the Hudson River Valley of New York were are great, the best in the world for about three weeks, and and then they're off again. Uh, it's just not quite the quite the peak. Uh, you're opening up a universe, and like you say, it might even someday include using artificial intelligence too. Of, of maintaining all these things and get it directly to people. So uh, you can see, I get excited about this. I'm I'm a fan. Likewise, how are we how are we going to educate people though to be enthusiastic and say? Well, I guess we just have to have more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it right now. I know, I know. <laughs> we just uh, hopefully we have like a million downloads of this thing. And and I, I look forward to the day that we don't have to brag about just shopping the perimeter of the store, because I think in many cases, better values and in arguably better quality in some cases can be found in the center of the store, in the canned aisles, in the frozen aisles, and somehow we've allowed the conversation to talk about processed versus fresh. Mm. And the process of the, I think what they're really worried about is when you throw in 10 or 15 different ingredients that uh, at least one of the words has an X in them and you can't pronounce them and you don't know what they are. <laughs> right. And it's, um, you know, high fructose corn syrup and other things that are loaded up rather than some simple fresh products that might be canned or frozen or even even dried products that are in fact in the in the center of the store. So I'm so our job is to adjust perception, right? That's because right. That's right. That's we're right. Perceiving we things that may not be true. Well, and I think too, uh I, I look forward to the day that we go to the farmers markets that we enjoy and almost all the stands have their fresh product out, but they also have their further processed. And you're starting to see it now. I don't know if you guys see it, bet you do in texas too that the that the meat's starting to show up more and more at the farmer's market and these poor guys have to schlep along freezers uh to to back up to the tent of the farmer's market and um, it's a lot of equipment to haul around but i don't know if there's a way around that yeah tell them they can go to the farmer's market with a qr code and and whatever they sell over that qr code people like us will package it up oh, and send it to them you know what Maybe what we do is we have them have photography, uh, photography and taste samples and the QR code. And then they got some fresh and they got some representation of what can be delivered to them frozen or maybe even every week delivered to them frozen. Uh, and again, I'm not going to leave out the canned guys when they get some canned things that they can do, too. And even the people that are starting to produce their own uh, salsas and and cooking oils and other things and and yogurts and kefirs and so forth. Um, yeah, you're right. I had QR code people on a couple of weeks ago because I think getting the story out to people 
is so important. And that's why I really appreciate this conversation with you guys today, because I, I, I do think that you're on a on a frontier. And and as you look down the down the road now in these next five or six years, what progress are you looking forward to? Uh, what are you most optimistic about when you you look at the, um, this journey you're in and the and and the company you're getting started and working in this area? Reuben, take the mic. Well, I I think that it comes down to um, a simple premise that we've been working with, at least in my mind, over the last couple of years, which is you know opening up our freezer for consumers to shop directly uh, and cutting out the middlemen which not only adds cost uh, but also adds as wesley described earlier various points at where these pristine frozen products can be um, you know damaged in some way or, or or questionable as to what happened between point a and point b uh, and so for us it is you know can we get farmers and ranchers to produce these highly desirable meats, right? Grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised chickens. We have one company that is doing grass-fed carrot-finished beef, and 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 he has a demand from consumers to find it, but him getting it into the distribution network for retail is, is quite difficult. But we can get it and, and remove that little piece in the middle and then find new consumers for that rancher when he has these, uh, he or she have these very specific, uh, highly desirable uh, products that are in a location uh, like in California or then on the East Coast, and and how does a, a shopper anywhere in the U.S. able to buy that uh, that farmer's product uh, and 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 have it arrive in a pristine condition? And and so those are things that we we love that challenge, and and we're working really hard to try to solve it for not only the farmer and rancher but for the consumer that would love to have this. Uh, I want to try this grass-fed carrot-finished beef. How do I get a hold of it? Well, here we, we've we've shrunk down that, that that the complicated supply chain to just one step, which is the farmer rancher sends us their beef, and we send it to the consumer, and and uh, that makes the whole process uh, simpler, uh, more cost effective, and uh, as we mentioned, less likely to have an, a, an interruption issue in that cycle. Uh, and I think the farmers that we've talked to. They, they absolutely love that, right? They 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 want to get it more direct to consumer, um, and, and and that's been our our main focus these last couple of years, uh, and and we're we're very close. Yeah, yeah, that's great. To, to add yeah. to that, really quick, yeah. it, um, you know, he used the farmer and rancher example, and that certainly is the focus. But it it's any high quality frozen consumer good that that we're trying to accomplish this for. And again, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, taking the time to have this conversation on farm to table talk, because I think most people would feel this is an unusual topic for farm to table because they assume that I'm, we're just obsessed with having it be what fresh quote, fresh local, this and that produced in a certain way and then available to you. But broadly it's just good quality, delicious foods and really at the peak of seasonality and sometimes it's just picked and sometimes it's not sometimes it's like you're pointing out frozen with better and better technology to be sure that there's there's fewer problems and we're doing better at it all the time and you're convincing me that it can be better even in the future no we, we appreciate that um frozenlogistics.com is our corporate website but we are maybe within the next two weeks uh, opening up uh, an online marketplace that resembles 
somewhat of a, of a farmer's market, but a bit more sophisticated, called deliveredcold.com. And there, if you visit it now, you can sign up for our newsletter. But in a couple of weeks, we will soft launch it and have product available so that if you have the curiosity to, to want to try grass-fed, carrot-finished beef or these pasture-raised chickens that are raised locally here in Central Texas, you can buy directly and, and we get it to you uh, in, in a pristine uh, capacity. And, uh, and it's a marketplace that we find uh, our our farmers and ranchers and, as, as Wesley mentioned, other producers of high-quality food, you know, allergen-free, gluten-free, um, non-GMO, et cetera, uh, love the idea of being able to put their product into a box that includes uh, other products that have that high quality that they're all trying to achieve. Uh, and, and so that's something that, you know, this podcast is a perfect timing for us because it is, we, we, we're about a week or, you know, half away from being able to, re- to open that up to the public and have them shop directly from our freezer. Well, the good news is our podcast is what we call evergreen. And so there will be thousands of people listening to this conversation today, but they don't just stop when we issue this. We end up finding it's amazing to me. I've got people that are going back into our archives and finding podcasts of two, three years ago because they can go to the website, which is farmtotabletalk.com and go to a little thing there. It says, you know, check the archives and you can go back and find it. So we're going to find up. Finding subjects like today's subject, uh, we're kind of like a freezer. You know, we, we can we can freeze our podcast and then people just pull it out, thaw it out, and listen to it. Sometimes, and yeah, I haven't heard that for a while. And you can refreeze it. I know. I know. You, don't have, you don't have to. You don't have to worry. Um, so I, I really appreciate having Ruben Cortez and Wesley O'Brien on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks, guys. Good luck. And I hope you're successful because I I want to see people enjoying the product at the peak of seasonality and the peak of quality. And sometimes it's going to be other than just uh, the normal way of looking at fresh. It'll be fresh, but it might be frozen and delivered directly to their home. And I know you'll have something to do with it. So thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, this conversation has been fun. And um, if, if anybody wants to carry it on further, they can reach me at Wesley at frozenlogistics.com as well. I I like talking this industry. Yeah, I can tell. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Roger Wasson.